well done for finding here. Um, it was, <laughs> it's actually quite comfortable and very, very pleasant, but it's a bit of a trek, and we weren't expecting the rain to start falling, so um, congratulations, you get an extra merit in heaven for finding the seminar venue. Um, and another one for wanting to come and listen to Keith Gabby. Um, uh, and, uh, it, joking aside, it's a, it's a real pleasure for me to, uh, to introduce these guys to you. We, we go back a very long way. Um, Jonathan was actually in charge of worship in the church that I pastored in Bangor longer ago than um, I can hardly remember. You and, heard? Uh, I, I still do have hair. This is choice. Um, but, uh, Limited choice. <laughs> um, but, but he was always an absolute pleasure to work with. He had a kind of telepathic understanding as we were doing services of what needed to be done. Um, and, uh, and that was long before he was leading the Irish and stuff. And, and, and so I just appreciated our friendship over so many years. And he has so much wisdom that he will share with you. Um, Jonathan then, as you know, um, succeeded Keith, really took on the project that Keith had started with New Irish Arts um, 20, nearly 25 years ago. Um, yeah, New Irish Choir and Orchestra started and, uh, and, and you know, well, most of you I'm sure have followed his career since then. In the church that Keith was attending in Belfast one night and uh, Technically, we started in the Thai restaurant. Yes. We find a fantastic little Thai restaurant to do all the rubbish that we talked in Belfast. And sadly, it's, it's out of business now, um, long time ago. But we've, we've had a friendship since then and have worked on, on lots of things. I've, I've had the privilege of working with both of these guys over the last um, 20 years in, in so many different things. They have so much to share with you. I know that you'll appreciate what we've got. We're not sure what the recording is going to sound like. We've got this as close to them as we can get. The system isn't quite working fully, but um, hopefully you'll get a, enough today that will inspire you. And uh, uh, they're going to share some thoughts. It's going to be open then for, for questions. And don't be afraid of, of any question. Um, they'll, they'll be more willing to, more than willing to, to give an answer and to respond to what you have. Um, there are stewards outside. If they do need to move us out, then please obey their instructions. Um, carefully and, and we'll get out uh, safely but hopefully that that won't need to happen and we'll finish um, at a quarter to one. The advantage of being here is that if you've got kids you're probably closer to them here than what you would be if you were at the tent so we've maybe got a bit of leeway on time. So let me pray for us and then I'll hand over uh, to the guys. Father thank you for New Horizon, thank you for what many of us have experienced so far um, in, in the last couple of days. Thank you for the presence of God with us. Thank you for the voice of God being spoken. Thank you for hearing Bible teaching that is blowing our little minds and leaving us with issues that we need to consider. Thank you for the opportunity for fellowship and for worship together. Um, Father, even thinking back to last night and, and the sound of over 3,000 voices raised in praise and it was, um, it, it was an amazing experience to your glory and praise. And Father, thank you today for what both of these guys have brought, not just to the church in Ireland, but further for Jonathan and Keith, for the gifts that you've endowed them with, and for the way they are using those to serve you and to serve your church, and to bring truth through singing and to uh, reinvigorate what, what learning truth through singing means and getting congregations singing in your praise. Um, equip them now as they share with us, and Father, I pray that uh, what they share might be really useful for us as we serve in different ways in our own fellowships. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.
So hello everybody. Um, about 24 years ago now my phone rang one day when I was in my parents' house. And at that stage of course the phone had a long cable on it and there was no internet connected to it yet and all that sort of thing. That's how long ago this friendship began. And this confident voice appeared on the other end of the line and said, hello, I'm going to start a Christian choir and orchestra. Or I have started a Christian choir and orchestra in Ireland. Um, it's going to be essentially a Christian presence in the artistic scene here and also an artistic presence within the church. And for those of you who are familiar with Winnie the Pooh, um, you can know that I can be a wee bit like Eeyore. Sometimes when a new idea is suggested, I'm, I'm always the one who works out how the idea is not going to work. And I honestly thought there probably weren't enough people in the area to make such a thing work and that nobody would have any interest in it anyway even if they did. So my, my initial reaction was fairly dull um, to this first conversation. So of course now my job is to run uh, the New Irish Choir and Orchestra, that very same group that Keith founded. And I will always have to live with the fact that the first time he mentioned the idea to me, I kind of poo-pooed it. I don't I remember that. To be Do you not? Honest. No. I, don't, I, don't, I, I certainly poo-pooed it in my head. I may not have been discourteous enough to be slabbering about it right there. In the <laughs> But you were you were you're always you're always you always you're always smarter than I was. So you always knew all the things that I couldn't see because I I kind of well, I kind of don't necessarily think through processes very well. This this won't be a mutual admiration session for very long. But I I will I will. I didn't get my socks on this morning. I will say that I'll be forever indebted to this guy for having the vision that I could never have had because I'm not a visionary. I'm a person who carries on with things rather than a person who starts things. He's a person who starts things. And this job that I have now gives me incredible satisfaction as being, as well as being a great vehicle for serving the Lord, um, it's, it's a great place uh, for, for me to exist in. But 15 years ago, that same confident guy who was by then a long-standing friend showed me a new song, and then I told him I thought it was too repetitive. <laughs> that there was a kind of tricky octave leap in the middle, and I wasn't sure people would really get that. And it wasn't the best one he had done to date, and I didn't really think it would take off. And that song's called In Christ Alone. <laughs> So, over the years we've worked together a lot. We started off with him as the conductor of New Irish, me in the choir and then on the piano. More recent years it's been the other way around, where I've conducted the gigs where he's been on the piano and he's come back with Kristen to do things. We've written one song together, successfully after many, a number of failed attempts as well. But There's, more to come. There's more to come. Yeah, yeah, you never know. We've probably eaten more steaks together than we've had songs, fair to be fair. Um, that much is apparent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on simultaneous diets where we send each other our weight loss every week. Um, we've discussed potential and actual girlfriends and married wives along the way, attended weddings for each other, laughed, argued, prayed together, called each other to account on a thousand different stupidities, and built a deep and precious friendship which I believe will be lifelong, depending on how this seminar goes. Um, so today it's an immense pleasure um, to introduce Keith. The rest of the world knows you as the pioneer and the driver of the modern hymn movement, but I know you as my most inspiring and encouraging friend. We're going to chat about a number of areas. Um, he hasn't seen where my wee list has taken us today. <laughs> this is going to be a good crack. Personal and professional um, for about 40 minutes or so, and then after that we'll uh, leave some space um, for questions for you to throw from the floor at the end. So Keith, uh, I want to talk about your career path first of all. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about what led you into music and then to hymns in particular um, along the way. Um, gosh, okay, well, if, if, I get, if I go the wrong direction here, uh, help me out, I'm going too slow or too fast, just interrupt. The, um, I, I, like many of you, 
I grew up in the church in Lisburn. My parents introduced me to life, to love, to faith, and to music, and to Christ, and to his praise. Um, I wanted to play for Liverpool. Um, if they had replaced Jan Mulby with me, and Alex Ferguson would have been fired as Manchester United's manager, and the whole history of soccer would have been very different. But as it is, they didn't see what I saw in my own unique sporting ability. And um, I ended up being, ended up uh, realizing that I, I was more into playing the guitar and piano and, and, and flute. And although I didn't do music when I was very young, I got into it when I was 10 and became pretty obsessive. And, uh, and so mu music became my life. Speeding forward, went to friends and I was burning. I would say, you know, the importance of teachers was a huge thing. Bobby Wright at Palm Park Primary. I ran away from the, the school, first school I was at, such a bad experience. I ran away for a summer, lived at the Ants Farm in Valley Walter. My dad came down eventually. I said I didn't want to ever come home again. And he said, We're moving to schools. And this lady called Bobby Wright helped me. Uh, and, and it put me in the front row because I can't concentrate I can't, ever on a copy process. I was like, She would like open my books for me because I couldn't work out how you put this book to get to that, to what you put in your bag. And then she got me singing in the choir and this kind of stuff and playing the guitar. And uh, so that was really transformative. Um, going to going on in music, um, I would say my my teenage years, um, we were blessed. Elmwood Youth Fellowship, a um, bunch of guys. We just got together. We were pretty honest, pretty raw, honest to be honest. And uh, but we we uh, grew up in faith together, grew up in music together. Um, I, I always wanted to engage with atheists and people of other faith and people good questions and. Uh, that caused me, I would say, around about university time, um, uh, a, no, a number of questions which I really had to work through. But as I became more convinced about Christianity, I, I became more convinced of what Martin Luther said 501 years ago, that if you're going to reform the individual or reform the church or see revival come in your land like he did and plant great churches and build Christian families, he said, as I read through Old Testament, New Testament, and all the church fathers through history, the Reformation comes through, this, through the Word, where the teachers teach it. And what you, and you take out of church, the teachers teach you the Word, and you carry the Word out of church through the songs that you sing. In other words, what we sing is, is foundationally important. In other words, songs that are shallow and last for three years build believers that are shallow who are believers for three years. And I'm not saying there's another, I don't, I don't say one form of music is wrong, but we do have to make sure that as parents and as grandparents and as, and as pastors and as musicians and songwriters, that we are filling the, the, the world around us and the space around us with beautiful songs of the Lord. So, so I, I, that, that, was a, that was a huge time. And that, that's where I really decided I need to try and write, write modern hymns and uh, uh, and so that began a journey. Um, honestly, my, my, my life has mostly been, as I put it, my career path, uh, which is a fancy word for your life, your work. Um, most of it has been trial and error, failures. You know, I, I played the flute when I, when I first met, and I thought I'd be a good flute player, and Jim Galway um, told me I was rubbish. <laughs> and it's not, there's no he can't really come back from that. Um, but, he did say, but he did say that the piano tunes I played in the club were really good and could I be as a ranger. So that got me to do arranging. Um, similarly, I, I, you know, as a, as a, I wanted to be a conductor and, uh, and, uh, 
I went to Tiglewood and I was I was by far the worst conductor in the course, you know. But but I loved the Boston Pops at the weekend because you got to hear these songs, and so I got to love songs. So most of it, I'd say, as in, uh, that that has been part. Another thing I would say is is John was kind of slightly flattering at the start. Is I'm not really a musical. Most the vast majority, 95% of artists are have a soloist mentality. I've actually not achieved anything in my life without collaboration. I've been the weak link of a hemorrhaging duo. I've been the weak link of an artist duo. I started an organisation that grew as soon as I left. <laughs> I started. I started a. I started a, a, a Christmas show, which was really created by, by my best friend in America, which is really all the genius of it. Created by my best friend in America. And I met a guy three years ago with, with the idea of developing, developing the singing vision as a as a as a as a as a global brand, and he has masterminded everything from the sing conference to the sing to the sing event to the collective. So, so I, my, talk, my music is, is talk a wee bit about some of the uh, collaboration is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about actually because yeah. you've always been a collaborator and yeah. I'm a person who likes you know if I'm developing a show or something like or you know or even writing something creative. Choral piece or something like that. I want to get in a room all by myself. I want all all the silence. I don't want any more noise. I don't want anybody walking up the stairs in a way that will hear the creak. I want proper silence and space to do that. And, and yet you seem to exist in a space where you get the benefit of three, four heads in a room quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about some of the pitfalls and joys of of collaboration. Um, gosh, what a wonderful question. Uh, you know what? I think uh, I'm 43 now, so I don't. I don't know much, but I'm, as of this year, as opposed to any other year I came home, I'm now out of univer- university longer you know, than I've been in. And uh, a few really random thoughts, just really punchy. Sorry to be so blunt, just to throw them out there. The number one collaboration in life is the person you marry, without a doubt. And so that's a, that's a huge thing for you to pray for, for your kids and your grandkids. Or if you haven't made up your mind yet, think carefully. And um, that... You know, but I would say that even to the degree that, you know, I still fool myself every day with what I actually think about something or what my actual motive is or or anything else, that kind of stuff. And it's like most, so so much of the time it's total cogswallop, you know. And uh, when I actually talk to Kristen about stuff, I, I, I usually find that she's quite honest, do you know what I mean? Hmm. She actually knows what I'm thinking, what my actual motive is whether this is good for me or not, whether this person is a wholesome influence. But she actually also loves me and she knows she knows she knows she knows the times you're on your knees. She knows the times you're heartbroken. She knows where you're gonna go. So I cannot emphasize to you enough both who you choose in marriage and the importance of praying together in your marriage. And just trying to find a way to pray. It's not always easy. We've had four kids in the last seven years. My wife talked me two years ago and said, You know what? This praying together has been really good. But right now, I thought it was two years ago, this is last year, she goes, I love praying with you, sweetheart, she goes, but right now I'm feeling so sick and you're looking so smug. Can you please text your prayer to me and I'll read it in my own time. <laughs> so, for, so for a period of one month, we had to do that. And, uh, so that's, I, I, I feel I would be dishonest not to begin collaboration, but collaboration yeah. there. Um, I think the second thing is, is, is finding, is, is finding, is, is, is having a vision for things that are bigger than yourself, you know? And that's something I've had to learn. I've had a heinous amount of pride over the years that, that I've had to work through. Many, many people, not least of all Jonathan and Stephen and others, have had to work through. 
But they're always, one of the things I do now, for example, in work, I was talking to John about this, is we write a letter. I write a letter every June when I go home now to my, to my senior staff. We have three vice presidents in our organization. And uh, I write it, and it's called the what, what Happens If the Plane Goes Down. And it's always to say, here's what's going to happen if this, because we have, a, we have a family of writers who work for our company, and we've, 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 we've sort of six different individual companies and projects that are happening. And so this is, this is what's going to happen. If I mean, because I started these things, but actually our vision is to actually write hymns that, that, that will help build deep believers in the six continents of the world in the 21st century. We live in the most exciting moment in history to be Christians, but we need to build deep believers, and part of that is the songs we sing. So I constantly the exercise of saying, here's where we're going, and here's how we're all, how we're all leading into that, I think is so vitally important. Um, so, so knowing that knowing that, that what we're doing is always bigger than us, I think, is really important. And that boils down to the, the, the smaller things. Um, and then I think also, you know, taking joy in people is great. I mean, you've done such a wonderful job with the New Irish, and uh, you've brought some people back who maybe <coughs> haven't been around, or I don't know if we're disaffected with my style, but you've, you've, you've built a team of people who've stayed together, and at our band, our band, and we've got, you know, we've got, we've, we've, we've got things we're dealing with now with that. But our band has been together, I think, eight and a half years, average, average length of average band member, and just the joy of doing life together is so beautiful. Do you know what I mean? You know, eating food with people, you know, you know, learning to talk things through, learning to disagree with people, learning to share, share joy, and share a tour bus, share a tour bus. We, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a ceremony every night in our bus now for seven years called the Man of the Day ceremony. Which is basically where everybody would do a vote for man of the day, and everybody submit. Everyone goes, you know, I loved your bass guitar solo tonight, or, or I, I thought actually the new the new arrangement was good, or, or we loved that that, that new backing vocal. So everybody gets to encourage each other, and just just the, the joy of delighting on people, I think, is is a good thing. But also getting the details right, and that's where I'm I'm awful, but where the people around me, you know, the team of people, you know. Make sure people are, are paid well, respected well, communicated with, and okay. as much as you do. So, going to take you back to the you and Kristen thing, actually. Um, okay. Very publicly, there was a long period of time when you thought you couldn't have kids. Yeah. Um, what do you think you learned from that period of time? Gosh, I think so many, so many things. I, I, anybody who'd opinion me when I was young would know that I was the kind of idiot that could really mess a lot of things up. And uh, not least of all, marriage and children. Uh, and uh, you know, first of all, you know, I had a broken engagement, which led into Kristen, and I think that made me so valued being married because you know you're always reminded of what could have been. And then, secondly, with with the engagement, uh, with with the, with the kids thing, um, I think Kristen actually had a couple of medical things. It's quite public now, but but uh, but. I actually, we had to quit touring for a year because I had to realize that if this doesn't happen, I have to show my wife that our marriage is actually more important mm-hmm. and we had to, and, uh, than, than anything else we do. And so I think that really helped us structure life around what is it to have a whole, what is it for us to, to have a wholesome marriage and pray together and all that kind of stuff? What is it for us to prioritize children and be thankful for them because they are gifts that yeah, it would have been very different. You have the weirdest work-life balance of anybody I know because yeah, yeah. you know your wife is your collaborator in work, and right. you're on the road. You're in, living in two different places. You know, there's there's a bit of downtime when you're here, but there seems to be an intensity to the whole thing. 
Yeah. And I think the whole thing about work life, you know, we talk about work life balance, and some of us are great at it, and some of us are terrible at it. Yeah. Um, well, I think all of us are all of us live different lives, and and, and as and as I think as we find the twenty first century moves on, there'll be less and less of what is considered normal. Do you know what I mean? All of us, you know, everything is begin as everything begins to become less and less dysfunctional in society. So each part of life will become less regular, and uh, so I think all of us need to look at it and go, okay, what does this mean? And I'm and, and planning so like along the way, you know, we had this silly thing when we first got married, and it was kind of more romantic that we. We've never spent a night apart, and we're actually now 14, and a half, 14 years in a month, and we've still never had a night apart. It's almost a thousand flights between us, and we choreographed all the flights and landed cities at the same time, so we're always in that kind of thing. And that was, honestly, that was more of a thing just for now. I, I find, while it was, a, it was a discipline for me, because number one, I, it, it made me a more wholesome person, but number two, number two it, it actually stopped me constantly running off with new ideas. Because you know I'm so such an idiot, I would just jump at any new idea. Yeah. It was good, but but I think you know for us, you know, we had to do like ten. We do ten weeks of every year, which are completely off, and five weeks of those are digital detox, reading the emails, and so that is to make up for the fact that the twelve weeks that are in the road, we do twelve weeks in the road. You're not. There are some days, no matter how hard you try, you're not the parent you should be, or you just don't get to see your kids. So let's talk about the parenting thing. Um, in what ways has being the father of Girls. First one, then two, then three, then four girls. <laughs> Change. I mean, Eliza is what seven? Yeah, Eliza is seven. Eleven, size is seven. Uh, Charlotte's four. Gracie's three, and Talia's four months. You see, inside, I actually have a visceral thing that happens in my stomach when I hear about your house with all all of that because we have three boys, but we we fifteen, thirteen, and five, which is another level of stupidity. But um, <laughs> what? Stop with that, so why? Why after two and 15 and 13? Why the decision for a five-year-old? <laughs> Do you know what we thought about? No, hang on. <laughs> I tell you what, our girls, our girls love all, Oliver's, Oliver's got this unique sort of blend between being the responsible. This is my oldest boy. And having, and having a slight crazy thing where he does all these like gymnastic stuff. And our girls just think this is the most incredible thing. So when they're on the, we like we, we can we can actually have long com- we can actually have uninterrupted adult time because he basically he's like he's like the head boy type. I mean, you can obviously tell the look at me that I'm having something that's a talented free runner. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Gymnast. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned being a dad? Gosh. Man. Well, I think it's just a, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of it is another level of you just can't be the hypocrite. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, that's the first thing I think of. You know, last week or two weeks ago, we were in the house and Frank came in and said, "Have you seen this here on the internet?" So I look it up my iPhone, sit and chat, and it's my kind of girl time. But we're just sitting hanging and doing stuff. And I ended up on the on the iPhone for about an hour. And then I went to put the girls to bed, and Charlotte would not settle. She would not settle, and uh, it, it is like it was. It just went on. I must have got to about 9.30 at night and I was about to go up the walls. I wasn't sure many of you have had that experience. And eventually, I couldn't work out what was wrong. I went through all my little checklist of, you know, we did a little prayer, we read some songs, did some, some songs, we read her book. She's comfortable. Gracie's not asleep. Why is she still not asleep? And then she says, can you lie beside me, Dad? And I said to her, she put her hands on my, both sides of my face. And I realized it's because her hour of time tonight was stolen by my selfishness on that stupid iPhone 
and she had missed that and so so like tons of us will identify with that yeah yeah and it's but it's it's, it's a terrible thing i mean the, the iphone brings so much damage into it so chris and i are trying to work out you know we're we're we're, we're trying this new thing with well this would not to do a music but i have to tell you my domestic problems we're, 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 we've, we've decided to stick the iPhones into the, into, into the what we call the mudroom in our house. You know, we come in at night, and uh, and then if we actually have to, we, will, we don't even in the landline. So if we have to, we'll get a personal, simple phone because because it it's just it, it's it, it is so crazily addictive, and it's such a lazy way out of life. And so you can't, you have to, you have to even, even at this age, you put your working. But my girls are very young, and uh, and. Uh, well, is there something particular you want me to talk about? No, you, you've, you've covered it pretty much. The hypocrite thing was the thing. I wasn't, it wasn't particularly going for that story, although I knew it. But um, I, I guess I'm just... I think it's important. People hear you speak so frequently about the big, long-term visions of what you're doing with the global hymn movement. Yeah. But I think it's important that that's rooted in the normality of daily life as well. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's nice sure. to hear you talk about those things and the insights that you have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm going to move on now to... Uh, I would say just on that is the importance of filling your home with songs of the Lord. I one of our worst days we were in LA. I, told, I think I told this story when Steve came and me last year. Um, but uh, we were in LA doing uh, a big concert, and John MacArthur wanted to meet for coffee, and I thought, what a cool thing to do. And so I went for coffee, and of course I was dreading it. I was waiting on the night where the kids were in the hotel room and climbing all over each other, and limited space, couldn't get outside. Just your perfect recipe for disaster, and. Uh, and I went and said to him, I said, you know, he said, so he said, you look, you look stressed, Keith. And I went, well, any advice in raising children? And he said, well, it really begins with filling your home with songs of the Lord. That was his first comment. Kind of convenient, because you have a few. <laughs> funny, 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 but I wasn't practicing it. You know, and that's the thing, because for me... If you heard 10,000 Reasons, I think it's a great wee song. But the point is, the point is, as soon as we get home, the last thing I want to do is put on... You know, I want to break. You know, I want to break. I want to watch football. I want to go out the back in the fresh air. I want to listen to Frank Sinatra's big band album. I don't want to listen to hymns. You know, so, so, so. It was, but, it, but, you know, it is an important thing that the, the pure, the New England Puritans wouldn't allow a man to take communion on a Sunday if he wasn't praying and singing with his kids every day, and that's pretty shocking to us. And realistically, for many of us, it might be quite a long jump, but we can begin step by step. To fill our home with songs what, of the Lord. One of my what friends, age is Gracie? Gracie is three. Okay, so yesterday on the stage, you probably don't know this. Yeah, yeah. But you, there was the brand new song I will wait for you, which yeah. the world doesn't know yet, yeah, yeah. but which is coming on an album quite soon. And we taught it last night. And while Kristen was on the stage doing the sound check, Gracie was standing beside her, and she she literally mouthed the words for a whole maybe two verses. Really? I was just like, how? How? He's super attention. Gracie is an attention freak. She's a ham. Pretty sure you didn't know him. <laughs> yeah, I might ask her what the words are. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff to do with the, the business, getting music and creativity and ministry. I'm, I've always been intrigued by the, the, the various, I, I guess there are three pools, aren't there? There's the pool to serve in ministry, there's the pool to be creative with your, your artistic thing, and there's the pool of running a business that actually makes it all work. Okay. Talk about the tensions that exist within that for no, me. No, there's none. It's really easy. Yeah. Um, so what, what pulls it for fascinating? Ministry, okay. artistic creativity, business life. Okay, well, um, I guess we, we start off with 
Ministry, ministry first of all, I think is, as I understand it, it begins with how you live your own life. We're not going to stand before God someday and he's going to go, your album sold 150,000, it should have sold 250,000. But he is intensely concerned about about our character. And uh, so, so I think, you know, one of the things... You know, we had to work. We've had to work on really hard as prayer. Prayer is, prayer is the hardest thing. I remember talking with, with Tim Keller, and I did a, a, a discussion, a video discussion on this, and he he said it took him the entire first. He says it wasn't until 9/11 that his wife had cancer that he asked him actually made prayer, prayer the priority of his ministry. And he says, and to not, he says, is, is almost the definition of hypocrisy. To do Christian ministry, or indeed to live Christian life. Where prayer is not at the front of everything, is that Andrea Lotz quotes her father by saying, "We don't, we don't tune the orchestra after the event. We begin the day with prayer." Um, Lloyd Jones, in a very famous discussion, talks about talks about um, he, he, he's speaking to a, a bunch of big leaders in London back in the sixties, politicians, extraordinarily wealthy people, celebrities, all there, and he says, "Not one of you has pressure of success or failure." that can ever replace the importance of prayer. Interestingly, he corrected himself and said, with the exception of mothers of children under two. Interesting. You know, to be an MP is nowhere, to be an MP, to be a billionaire, to be a person of, of, of media interest is nowhere near the pressure of a mother of children under two. Just interesting side note. Um, but, but um, so I think, I think that begins first is, and so daily prayer, praying with your wife, praying with your children. Um, we pray with our staff on the Mondays. And uh, I, think, I think that begins there. And then, and then you know, trying to, trying to you know, live a faithful life. And then for us, we have a fairly clear, clear vision of what we do. You know, it kind of helps. You, know, you, know, you went to Cambridge. I failed Oxford. You're organized. I can't organize anything. You know, I, I don't have multiple skills. I, I, I can kind of go... I can kind of go. Um, here's here's a vision for what we're trying to do. So I, I try to hone into what is it what is it we're trying to do. And uh, so again, we, 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 our, our organisation is about trying to create modern hymns that help teach the Bible. So the people growing up today, there are more Christians in the world today. Most Christians in the world today are second or third generation Christians. And your average Christian in the West, including Northern Ireland, knows less about the Bible than your average. Pagan in 1950 in the English school system because of singing hymns and assembly, religious instruction, church, and the general Judeo-Christian value system that you have. So we are trying to write hymns that help to teach and internalize and memorize and help people sing into their memories and their emotions and their hearts and their prayers the truths of God and help build a good understanding of that. So our work is in that, and then out of that, how do we how do we distribute that? Uh, and how do we create innovative ways of doing that? Now we're in the arts. So the three things we always say about our hymns are, we want hymns that teach, we want hymns that, that every generation can sing together, and also we want to write with a slightly higher view of the art, arts, because probably if you analyze it, most people when they talk about hymns and worship songs that mean something to them, they actually mean the hymns that you carry through life that mean something to you. They're not actually talking about the song that meant something to you last Sunday and you forgot the next Sunday. The ones that really have lasting impact are the ones that last longer. Makes sense. So that's sort of the three value systems we put on the songs. So really, after that, 
Um, so so, that, so that's, the, that's the creative side. So measuring and creative. Then in terms of business, I mean, it was actually Richard Branson said, business is just the organization of your priorities. In other words, there's a wonderful accordion player who's in our band. He doesn't, he's, he's, he's part-time now with our band um, and works as an arranger with our company now. Um, but, you know, he earns a very modest salary, although he's one of our players. He played in Paul Simon's album. He played on the Midnight in Paris soundtrack with Woody Allen, that wonderful movie that was set in Paris, if you remember it. And he did a lot of the soundtrack. A wonderful player, but lives a simple lifestyle, paid off his mortgage at 40, uh, 40 at 45, and does music that helps him become a better musician. And he's late 50s, and he's still trying to become a better player. And looks after his family, has enough to look after his family, built his own home with his hands. That is a good businessman. Um, somebody who started a company and is uh, swallowing in debt and has to race later late every night home because he can't afford not to get the work because because he's because he's chasing uphill all the time. That is oftentimes more often than not that's a bad businessman. Sometimes it's somebody who's just been in very unfortunate circumstances. And if there's anyone in this room who's in that context, I hope you would beg my forgiveness of using such an illustration. But I said simply to say. Or business is not about bigness, and it's not about finance, and it's not about you know intelligence. It's 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 about basic priority, organisation of priorities. You love numbers, though, don't you? Yeah, I. You told I the people last night there was going to be a choir of a thousand that the thing we're doing together next year, and yeah, you, yeah. you love the roundness of that figure. You love the idea of the building being full wherever the <laughs> building is. No, I, I, no, I, I love no, but no, it's, it's actually something different. It's I love to be excited. <coughs> Music. The arts, the arts are in passion or emotions. I have these great. I have, I have this ongoing frustration. So I come from the, the reform community, uh, um, very much part of that. But 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 we have this complete unease with that entire movement because because there is so little of 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 emotion, of art, of passion, of life. And you know, like they'll always say to me, we we like a hymn because it's the, your hymns because they're theologically sound and singable. Like, how boring is that sound? <laughs> how boring is that sound? No, it's not. You, you, you only think that. You, you like it because you can't get the melody out of your head. Because it said something about God that you'd never said before, but it was so beautiful. If you're Stuart or Christian or somebody phrased it so beautifully. You know, and so, so the a thousand thing is not. Okay, I think I might like numbers. My dad did statistics, but but and we did jigsaws all our childhood and, and crosswords and, and all those stupid pseudo stuff. So, but but actually, what I actually really love is the idea that we're we're excited about something. Twenty five years ago, you know, you and I essentially started this organization, and it's exciting, and we get to bring a thousand people to the Odyssey to do this event together, and they're conducting whatever. Everybody I'm speaking to is excited about it. Because why? Because we're human. Because we like things that, that excite us, that that that, um, that, 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 that that pull our emotions. You know. And if you're a songwriter here, you know, candidly, mediocre songs have no use to anybody anywhere. Stop doing it and stop stop destroying your church with them. You know. There's plenty of good hymns to sing. Sing good hymns. Do you know what I mean? Sing a good one. And wait till you've got a good one. And when you've got a good one, then that's great. Do you know what I mean? Do you, but, not, but, do you but, not think that people who are learning their craft, though, when they start, it, it's very easy to get depressed by the quality of one's own songs? I, I live in that state most of the time. <laughs> okay. So, do you not think that there's a space? I, I, I remember, I don't know, it may have been you, but I remember having a conversation with somebody one time where we, we came up with the idea that there are songs that are useful for your own personal devotion yeah. that may never see the light of day beyond that. There are songs that are possibly useful within your own immediate sphere of influence where the, the Christians that you gather around on a Sunday by Sunday will find them valuable. And then there's the song that the world wants to sing. 
mm-hmm. and there's obviously a massive leap between those three stages. But I, I, I still, I think, I, I don't think I'd be on the same page as you in terms of stop doing it. If I think the devotional as, aspect of people writing in their own words, even if the melody's poor, even if the poetry wouldn't stand the light of day, I think there's still something about the between me and God. It's, it's a useful. It can be a useful way of people expressing things to God. That's what Johnny does. He can deconstruct my stupidity. Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, But at the same time, what you're saying is that it's it's probably good to have the wit to recognise when a song is like that. Yeah. And that that's easily helped by other people who tell you there's an octave leaping and Christ alone never works. That's a much more helpful place to start. Um, I I do have a couple of concerns, though. My concern comes number one when people. You know, flood their churches with stupid songs. You're never, you're not going to sing. You know, that is not that that destroys congregational singing. Do you know what I mean? That destroys people. It also destroys people's love for church. Um, and it also, um, you know, we we've got to be so careful not to push our heritage and stuff. We did an interview with Jay Packer last month, and he, he Packer's whole thing in life was you should read two old books for every one new one. Because you need to read new ones to, to keep fresh, but you need, need to understand that today's wisdom is, you know, is, is, is flawed, and actually books that have lasted actually give you much more deep wisdom. I said, do you feel similarly about hymns? And he said, no. He says, I think hymns should be three in one. Now, I don't think any workers have really practiced that, but it is something worth thinking about because, you know, as, as one goes into an old people's home, um, my sister was talking about going to old people's homes last week and um, on Saturday, and uh, and they they sing they sing hymns, and you have to ask, what are our generation going to sing when they get to that age? They're carrying nothing with them, mm-hmm. and what's even more scary is it's not where they get to when they're eighty-seven and they have no conscience anymore. Although it is, I believe that hymns are deeply important to them then, but it's actually what happens when they're sixty, when they're fifty, when they're forty, when they're thirty. And life circumstances change, you know. And 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 if we only sing song, if we only sing songs that are for the now, that's okay. When you're 13, and you want to do something cool, and you don't want your kids smoking. But actually, life when you're 22, you change circumstances, they change relationships, they have intellectual issues, they have all kinds of. And and in some ways, you know, Christianity is now you know sort of on the wrong side of the law as well. And so you've got you've got so many difficult issues to deal with that. If we're not grinding ourselves solidly, what are we going to carry with us later in life? You know, we're the first, I mean, interesting. We're the first generation. This is not. This is not against your comment. This is just no, a side no. note. We're my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation for sure. My parents' generation. You know, there was, there was this kind of trend that in Christian families, you know, you had the black sheep in the family went and did their thing. They were usually the fun one to hang out with at Christmas, but you know, <laughs> they were still there. but but you know, something would happen. Tragedy would strike. Somebody's child would get ill. There would be a death, and a pattern that happened relatively regularly is the black sheep would come back in, be closer to the, the, the would start going to church a little, would consider spiritual things, would send his kids to Sunday school more likely. Our generation is much more common for the opposite to happen. That when tragedy strikes, people move away from the church because the songs we are singing. Um, are, are so are oftentimes off-putting to people. And again, these are massive statements I'm making without time to qualify. And, and, but, and but this is, by nature, a very broad discussion. Yeah. I, I want to go back just to something a few sentences ago. You talked there about... Um, you talked last night about the need for depth. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and I think a lot of what drives you is the need for depth and theology and content right. and themes and yeah. all of that in the hymns one of the things that I've sometimes wondered is why you went for the old musical style of the hymn rather than trying to do that same theological thing in a musical style that might have immediately connected the people who love more recent music yeah um, well art I, I, I guess I think, t- yeah, I t- t- tie into that also the fact that you have a passion for, for choirs yeah I think art is that's probably a separate question okay. I think art is, is kind of simpler um, and infinitely more complex than that in the sense that we write in the way we write I grew up in a home in Lisburn my parents loved classical music my dad was a church artist my mom was a piano teacher we never, I never heard a pop song in my childhood. I heard 99 Red Balloons at someone's house one day when it was number one in the pop charts. But other than that, I never heard a pop song. We just didn't listen to pop music. Wasn't really allowed, to be honest. Not informally, not autocratically, but it, we just it didn't happen. I, so I was from the, I was, I was the Scotch Irish tradition, and and. Um, but church music of all kinds was allowed from Handel's Messiah to Bill Gaither to Majesty Worship's Majesty and all these kind of things and so it's no coincidence that you put all those things in the juicer and press on and put it out into the glass and that's how my music sounds you know I mean Mutt Lang the big, most successful pop producer in history you know grew up in working class Cape Town and and only was only ever got to hear this little tranny radio of top 20 songs so whether he was producing Def Leppard or ACDC or Shania Twain or the Coors, all his songs sound exactly the same when they sound like a radio hit, you know, because that's what he learned. Now, I'm at a <laughs> professionally, you know, s- smaller influence level than that, but 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 I think all of us are what we are. And we, we, I, I get sad when I hear people from this beautiful island trying to sound completely American, or when I hear people who are trained in classical music. Um, you know, trying to sound pop when it's so obviously inauthentic to them. Um, or I did, I did, I gave a, a lecture once for, for a bunch of graduates from Berkeley Jazz School, which is top jazz school in the world in Boston. And they were all, like, these are guys who've got more har- harmonies in, like, their big toe than I have in my entire body. And they were all, like, writing these, like, three chord songs. And it was like, guys, like, what do you play all day? Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, we're, we have a beautiful heritage here to lean into. And, uh, and so, I think I think that that's why my music comes out. You know, I think philosophically, I think the more timeless forms of music allow us to have songs that we carry with us for longer. You know, um, uh, in Christ alone, some of the bigger songs are in, are in every culture today, but have been done in every style. You know, from the yeah. you know the archbishops' enthronement to 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 classical versions to to. Uh, Many, many African-American artists, Latino artists have recorded them. So there's, there's a greater adaptability so, with the So if you have that kind of pentatonic, and of course, Christ was actually a pentatonic uh, tune like, like Jesus Loves Me or Amazing like Grace, and uh, the pentatonic nature almost allows you to play through folk, any kind of folk music as well. So I think that, that I, th- I, I do think the advantage of what we do, the disadvantage is we're not on Christian radio in America, we're not kind of the, the, the cool cutting edge of, of the latest youth movement, but 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 it does allow each generation to have songs and, and to carry them. I think for okay. longer time. Anyway. We need to move. I'm going to do one more, and then we'll throw it okay. up. 
um, you have quite a calculated system of writing. So there was a period of this day where you said you were going to write 100 melodies in 100 days. Isn't that right? Well, that's because I'm a field sports guy. You know, I like, I, like, I like to hit targets and go after them. Otherwise, I'm just lazy. Like full houses and things. Yeah. Um, okay, so that calculated system of writing, in the middle of all that, the melody creation is kind of your bag, although yeah. you contribute to the, the lyrics occasionally as well, don't you? And more concepts? More concept. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, I love concepts and I get very impassioned about that, but as often as I've tried to write lyrics, it's just kind of really weird. I, make my, I get the concept and the guys get excited, then I start making lyrical suggestions. So this is like these awkward silences. <laughs> so this is maybe a question for lyricists, but, but speak yeah. into it if you can. One of the things I guess is that in the same way as a pastor is required to assemble an inspiring sermon from the word mm-hmm. a couple of times a week mm-hmm. your ministry requires you to use words of great truths as the tools of the building blocks of what is in effect a calculated process you, you, you're not a person who thinks you don't wake up in the morning inspired with an idea and think this is the idea God has given me today particularly do you you, 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 you go at it strategically because the Lord has planned your brain that way yeah, yeah I think yeah I think at the, at the top level yeah but I I mean the reason I write all those tunes is the reason I write all those tunes is because that's what gets my brain going what I know is that if I write a hundred tunes one summer and record every one of them and put them across my laptop homepage so that I can't think of anything else but these tunes that that a song I wrote on a walk one day became by faith and the other hundred failed Do you know I mean that's I that's what you get you know, one summer, one summer, I, I came back here to write, and the only tune we got was the wondrous mystery, which Stephen and I got, got when I was with Stephen on the fourth hole of the, the village course at Port Stewart Golf Club. You know, the, the hole that just goes down by the river, so like the third, fourth, the done. I think it's changed now, hasn't it? Anyway, that's nothing to do with this subject. Anyway, so when you're, so, so, so when so you're so using those so tools, what, what, what I can get, the only absolute. What? <laughs> so the only absolute statistic is if I'm not trying, nothing happens. Okay, fair enough. But how do you connect that process of building something, crafting it, with heart engagement? Hmm. Because I think, there's, I think it's very difficult for people in routine like that of creativity, even pastors, yeah. ministers, okay. to get away from the idea where it can become... <coughs> rigmarole well let, let me take three or four different things. that's a very very broad question it's too broad for two minutes I'm going to give you a few answers number one number one the importance of singing I flew into a city about eight years ago and it was an event I did not want to do with leaders whose attitude I did not like and I know the producers who had a bad attitude too but I was I was I was disgusted at myself because I was coming to do something that was important and it, maybe this was tiredness end of season so I called, I called Alistair Beck because I thought, if anybody has a bad attitude and a bad day, it's Beck. So he'll know what to do. So I called Beck. So I said, I said what, do you do? what do you do when you're feeling stroppy? And he says, I actually, I phone the place up and say, I'll make my way there. I get a rental car. And I get into the rental car and I drive and I sing myself hot. I just sing and sing and sing. And I remember one day, it was, I think, we were getting ready for the same conference last year. Um, There's a melody in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well, one for the same conference here because you, you mentioned this earlier today. 
you know, I, I was looking through, I collect old hymn books because, because I'm a nerd. Um, but anyway, uh, and I found an old Billy Graham hymn from the 50s, somebody, a collector's edition of from the 50s. And it was Beverly Shea, George Beverly Shea singing, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? By his presence so divine, pure and tender, something pure else and precious, true and tender, pure and precious. Oh, I'm blessed to call him. And there's harmony here, all that thrills. Ready? And harmony. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Let's not try verse 2. <laughs> but I realize right now I am so driven towards a door, a target, a pillar. I actually could not sing that. And I had to actually go out for walks and sing it. And I got to about 11 times singing the entire hymn round with every verse before I realized that actually all that thrills my soul is Jesus. And, uh, and that was very hard because, because I knew how many things I was going after. And so... So I think the importance of us singing and singing these things and singing them over and over again, singing them honestly, does does help us. Um, I I think secondly, we, you know, art is an ex- art is just an extension of life. We do we are we do we lean into the things that are passionate about us. I was in London on Friday and I ended up just in the afternoon going to the Tate Modern with with Stuart Town and we just decided just to think about what we're doing and we're looking at the Picasso exhibition which is his journey around 1932 and the, the warmth of love that is in certain paintings of that year even to someone like me who's dumb and doesn't know anything about art and was like bottom of my class at friends at art is just so obvious because it just comes through and so and so the things that we love, you know, make, make, make the better. The things that we're passionate about, about we speak best about. And so I think, I think ultimately, uh, you know, authentic ministry as well is, is so much about, you know, about, about leaning into those things. So, uh, again, I, your time's up, so I'll stop there. But. Okay, we said we would do five questions at the end, one minute each. Okay. Five people. Yeah, far away. There is no definition. So like, someone like Regas and Malaysian Mineral, scientific definitions, him, our English word, Augustine to Augustine, song of praise to God. So that's nothing. I would say our songs get called hymns for two reasons. One is they sounded more like old hymns and they sounded like modern worship songs. And I would say not even all of them, but that was the thing. Secondly, I would say the three values that we went for were more aligned with historic classic hymns. So it was the fact that we learn our faith. The hymn is the hymn is how we catechize ourselves, is how we learn our faith. Modern worship songs tend to be an experiential response. Tend to be again just generalisation. Secondly, um, we tended more into classical art form, so classical music or classical hymnody, 
traditional folk music, poetry, theology, that kind of thing. Third thing uh, was we wanted intergenerational singing. The modern worship movement actually, as a, as a, as a, as a scientific study, as, as a historical study, a sociological study, has caused more uh, splits in churches than any other movement since the Reformation. So actually we want generations to sing together. We want families to sing together. So that was sort of the three values behind what we did. Next question. Hello. The circuit that you uh, are involved in is, and, and the pastors that you work with are in the celebrity sphere. Do you reject that status yourself? And if you don't, what do you struggle with the most about the celebrityness in the American culture? Gosh, um, okay. Yeah, first of all, I, I, I wouldn't use the word celebrity because, you know, I walk around Tesco's and nobody knows who I am. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know Marcus Mumford well, but I know him well enough to know that when he goes into, when he wants to go for a coffee, you know, he actually has to put on a cap and a beard. Do you know what I mean? So this is not, you know, this is not celebrity status. You know, so that's the first thing. So that's a big deal. But, but yes, there is a concern. There is a concern um, with anybody in life, with anyone in life who, for whom they, they, accountability of life gets away from them. But that's the same for all of us. Do you know what I mean? And so so that, that, that that's the short answer in terms of in terms of people taking away application today. Am I so far beyond beyond contradiction and criticism in the world that I'm in uh, that I can't do that. And um, and also just honestly I've got ten seconds left with you. I think a spur of thankfulness is good too. Do you know what I mean? we be thankful for stuff um, tends to be the you know if you're cynical or if you're proud. Just, just, the, 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 just being thankful, thanking people, and that kind of stuff, I think, is helpful. Um, and also learning that the local church is the gold. Do you know what I mean? You know, I, some really disappointing conversations this weekend, just with people who obviously don't love local church, and that—that's when it gets tragic. That's so. Um, that, is, that is where the gold of life is. Um, that's where we put most of our efforts in. We're not. We just. We just. We just call our local church. The pastor and his wife are our best friends. Um, we, we love it. We're not in staff, but but to, to value that, I think, is huge. I'm sorry, I'm trying to answer your question. Another? Yes? Um, in terms of being a worship leader, yeah. uh, do you think it's better to have a smaller selection of songs which your church can sing really well, or to do a wide, wide range of songs to try to please everyone? Good question. Smaller. I, I personally, this is not a this is not a theological absolute, obviously. I personally will go for a smaller set and get them done well. Gordon Ramsay, when he used to do those restaurant shows, um, I hope you didn't watch them because the language is terrible. But he, um, <laughs> when he's fixing a restaurant, when he's fixing a restaurant, there's a famous episode near the start with this big massive uh, menu with like big flowers in the back of it, and he grabbed it and he actually threw it into the pizza oven, and he started the game with a piece of paper on the table and said, "One soup." three main courses, one dessert and good coffee. We're going to practice this for three months and by the end of it, that's actually what they did. And so all of you, whether you're in a church of 30 people or whether you're in a church of 300 people or whether you're in a church of 600 people, you know, I think saying, okay, strategically from September to next, like thinking September on, okay, what are, we, what, what are the songs we're going to be singing with our church? And let's sing them and sing them well. What are the truths you want our congregation to know? Pastors, I hope you're all loving your church enough to care about the songs that your church are learning and singing home. So I would definitely, it's a wonderful question, very, very good practical application. Um, I would recommend a small, and I don't, I don't think they all have to be hymns, just in case you think, you know, we, we sing lots of songs in our church, so we sing hymns, modern hymns, uh, some modern worship songs, you know, so, so you know, choose a, a good blend. One of the wonderful things is that we have a wonderful artistic variety. So within that, 
That's my suggestion. I, I, I often joke about you that you don't just like music that's by Keith and Kristen Getty. You also like music that sounds like it could have been like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. That's not true. Um, we, we, are, we are at the time limit. We'll take one more question if anybody wants to fire it. Hello. Can I just ask, what is your favourite hymn? That changes every day. Changes every day. Yesterday my favorite hymn was Abide With Me. Death, where is thy sting? And the last verse. I just thought of of the beautiful harmonies about that hymn, but but, um, no. That's all I got. Folks, thank you for humoring us while we had this chat. Thank you for being here. when I heard the celebrity question because if you've been on a tour bus for several weeks going to places in America that nobody ever heard of and parts of Florida that nobody knew existed or Muscle Shoals, Alabama and you were to see Keith come off a tour bus after a nine hour journey and he looks bad at the best of times but you should see him in the morning and then going in to do a seminar with a crowd of church leaders it would blow any notion that there's celebrity going on in a lot of stuff and, and as yet a lot of it is for um, the local church <laughs> in December, the church in Alabama, where on the two pillars as you go out from church, on the one it said, you shall not kill, and the other one said, you shall not commit adultery. That's what everybody saw every Sunday when they walked into church and thought, my goodness, what must that's, be going that's, on? That's very unlike almost every church I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was more bizarre to us. <laughs> but it, it, it's certainly not celebrity. But folks, thank you for being here. Again, thanks to Jonathan and Keith. Hope it's given you something. Um, to be thinking about again, show your appreciation for it.